Hello, and welcome to Fiduciary Talk, brought to you by FI360. I'm Dwayne Thompson, Senior Policy Analyst at FI360, and I'm joined by Blaine Aiken, Executive Chairman with FI360. Today we're going to step back for a moment and look at the Department of Labor's conflict of interest rule from a cultural perspective. And by that I mean a sales versus advisory organization approach to the new rule. For listeners interested in digging a little deeper after a discussion, please go to the FI360.com homepage where you will find other resource materials available. Hi, Blaine. Welcome. Thank you very much, Dwayne. Good to be with you again. Same here. Um, You recently wrote about the cultural aspect of the Department of Labor's uh, rule in your fiduciary corner column for investment news. Can you explain what you mean by your opening statement? And And I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, that the the DOL conflict of interest rule, or fiduciary rule as it's commonly called, is based on the premise that sales and advisory organizations are fundamentally different. Well, it sounds obvious. Can you explain what you meant? Sure, happy to. Uh, So really, whether it's a sales organization or an advisory organization, uh, each of those types firms has different priorities that shape their culture and the practices in each one. Uh, So I think that also means, and certainly the DOL seemed to take it to mean, that they must be regulated differently. Uh, So advisory firms, and and this extends not just to financial advisory firms, but whether it's a medical or a legal practice or whatever type of profession, uh, they're structured to optimize client outcomes even as they seek to operate profitably. But then whenever you think about sales firms, they are specifically structured to maximize their profitability while still seeking to produce positive customer outcomes. So in effect, the the priorities of these businesses are reversed, and that's a big deal in terms of the way they operate. So uh, in this instance, the the fiduciary rule obviously regulates uh, both types of organizations as fiduciaries. So what is new in the department's approach to regulating sales organizations? Well, the, the rule requires that sales firms, uh, they need to change their priorities and their practices whenever advice is specifically involved. And so under the new rule, uh, any time we have personalized advice rendered, that's a fiduciary function. So in that sense, both sales firms and advisory firms uh, have to optimize the client outcomes through objective advice. Now, the final rule does make certain concessions to firms and the the representatives or agents that have operated in a sales environment before. Uh, It does that by allowing them to continue to receive sales or variable compensation as long as they accept fiduciary accountability and do follow certain procedures. Those procedures are spelled out in the best interest contract exemption or or BICE as it's known under under the rule. So I think there's really three things to know about BICE and the rule itself. And, And the first is that variable compensation structures are inherently conflicted. Uh, they can work to incent ad- advisors to compromise the client's best interest by providing compensation uh, advantages to recommending one thing or over another. 
So the, the second thing to know is that um, because as a fiduciary you are not allowed to place your interests ahead of the client, uh, advisors who work under this best interest contract exemption and who do receive variable compensation, they have to implement extra investment or investor protections uh, in order to make sure that the, the best interests of the clients serve. But the third thing that I want everybody to understand is that all advisors, no matter how you're paid, have to meet the fiduciary duties of loyalty, prudence, and care. And so effectively, the best way to think about this is that the best interest contract exemption essentially provides a blueprint that demonstrates how to comply with those core fiduciary responsibilities of loyalty, prudence, and care. So no matter whether you're receiving variable compensation or not, uh, you need to be able to operate according to those primary fiduciary obligations and serve the client's best interest. Now, certainly uh, BICE has, has been a central feature, as the Department of Labor has said, uh, in the new rule. And in your column, you mentioned seven best practices that would help advisors harmonize uh, their BICE requirements if, if they, they need to use that safe harbor uh, with serving their clients, both in retirement and non-retirement accounts. Can you run through these? Yes, and so uh, you're right. I laid out seven of these uh, specific actions. Now, these aren't the actions as they're specified in the best interest contract exemption requirements, but uh, the, the essence of those is captured in my list of seven. Uh, and then I go a bit beyond that because these are essentially fiduciary best practices that any advisor should follow. So first on my list would be to make sure that you tell the client that you are, in fact, uh, an intentional fiduciary advisor. In most cases, uh, under the DOL rule, you need to put that in writing. And specifically, if you're trying to operate under that best interest contract exemption, uh, you actually need to enter into a contract with the client. Uh, otherwise, you can do that in an engagement letter. Uh, with the client or even in account opening documents and there's special provisions in the rule that uh, kind of help you uh, know exactly where you need to do this specification of your role but as a general uh, top of the list uh, make sure that you tell the client that you are working in a fiduciary capacity and then closely related to that coming into the second point is to make sure that you and the client are on the same page regarding what you're going to do for them and even what you're not going to do for them. If there's specific things that you don't intend to deliver uh, but the, the client might be expecting, you, you certainly want to spell those things out uh, as well. This too is usually done in the uh, client engagement agreement where you're um, specifying the services to be rendered. Well, the third thing would be to implement impartial conduct standards. Now this actually is a phrase that is uh, laid out by the Department of Labor in the conflict of interest rule. It's a defined concept uh, for the prohibited transaction exemptions that uh, exist in ERISA and that are spelled out in this particular rule, uh, including the best interest contract exemption. And generally speaking, these impartial conduct standards have at least three components. Uh, number one is the commitment to serve the client's best interest. Number two is to charge uh, only reasonable compensation. 
and reasonable is uh, with respect to the services provided. And a lot of times this is comparative with respect to what else is available in the marketplace and the services that you would be providing. And then the third aspect of the impartial conduct standards would be to avoid misleading statements. So then moving on to a fourth overall point, uh, have policies and procedures in place that are designed to prevent violations of those impartial conduct standards. Uh, so for example, you need to really have uh, exceptional due diligence processes for things like selecting uh, investments uh, or uh, selecting and, and monitoring service providers, anything along those lines. We want to make sure that we've got protocols in place that uh, help to make sure you don't uh, run astray of the impartial conduct standards. And you know, rollovers is another good example here, Dwayne, where uh, you must carefully document that you have done the analysis of all of the options that are available to someone who may be thinking about coming out of their retirement plan uh, and perhaps going into a rollover to an IRA. So you want to go through that analysis and uh, document it as the basis for making a reasonable uh, recommendation. Uh, fifth out of the seven would be to make sure we avoid all sales incentive programs or any other type of inducement that could compromise the quality or objectivity of your advice. Uh, then also in this number six, disclose all compensation, conflicts of interest, fees and expenses. These are uh, other forms of potential uh, conflicts or uh, circumstances that any investor would want to know in order to make an informed decision. And then the seventh one is, uh, seventh and final one really is not one that is directly tied to a a specific BICE requirement, but I think it's a, a really important uh, thing to have set up in your firm, and that's to, to have a protocol to periodically review the processes of the firm uh, with respect to what's required under the new rule to see if they are, in fact, working. And so this is to challenge uh, whether, in fact, you, you do have the kind of apparatus built directly into how you're firm operates to make sure that you're serving the client's best interest. And, you know, I, I think even um, to top that would be to get engaged with your peers, uh, even outside of the firm, to do periodic uh, evaluation of anonymous cases. Uh, so, you know, if you think of the old TV show House, where uh, House, the physician, would get together his uh, medical team and they would look at particularly difficult or interesting cases in order to uh, diagnose what might have been the problem and then even critique one another in terms of the approach that was being used, that is a great way to make sure that you are staying on your toes. And this is exactly the kind of uh, cross-examination, if you will, that you would be likely to come uh, under uh, the, that kind of scrutiny if you were brought into question about whether you're actions were truly consistent with the fiduciary standard of care. And I, and I think that's what you see uh, at times with uh, study groups of uh, uh, financial planners and others who get together with their peers to compare notes and, and look at uh, uh, cases in a, in a confidential way, of course, and, and see how they can improve their own practices. So uh, uh, this, is, this is very good stuff, uh, Blaine. I appreciate it. I've heard a lot of about process so that 
strikes me as uh, what we've heard before, that ERISA is all about process. And uh, certainly it's now focused on the new fiduciaries in the neighborhood that you uh, uh, discussed earlier. So thank you very much for your thoughts and uh, look forward to our, our next uh, podcast, Blaine. I do too. Thanks, thanks a lot, Dwayne.